0: to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it, get to the line, and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, hamilton oh, goes straight on? This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified, a racing podcast by two gentlemen with absolutely no business in this business. I am joined once again by my esteemed co-host, Gerald Carter. Gerald, we are two weeks and 70 laps around the Hungara ring older. I personally am extremely well rested because I basically could sleep through the entire race. Uh, I felt that was pretty appropriate based on the level of action on track. What say you, good sir?
1: So I guess with that intro, it's safe to say that the uh, Hungaro ring disappointed your already <laughs> shockingly low expectations.
0: But, but can we, I mean, I think this is a safe to call one of those like called it moments. I think we signed off two weeks ago by literally saying it's only entertaining if it rains, but it always rains. It did not rain.
1: Yeah, it was an uh, interesting weekend early on. Qualifying was fascinating. Good start. Once you settled much further into the race, it was uh, more or less par for the course. So yeah, got your uh, nap in in the last forty laps, and and woke up to see the excitement on the podium and Lando Norris's um uh, uh, smashing success of a of a celebration.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, well, you are one step ahead of me on my favorite part of the weekend. Then it was the podium celebration.
1: <laughs> did you now? Did you notice? lando breaking the trophy as it happened or did you pick up on it after the fact like like most other people
0: i actually didn't watch the podium celebration live so i didn't give my chance a, a self a chance to see it uh Are you still sleeping but uh, yeah when i yeah i think i watched it maybe like two hours later i wasn't really live for this race either but uh when i i heard that it had happened from somebody else actually before i saw the replay and in my mind, I thought to myself, he slammed the champagne bottle down. Because he it's, he does that every single podium he gets, which I think is badass, personally. Like, nobody else is popping champagne that way. I mean, you're shaking your head. Love to hear your thoughts. But uh, I, I did think to myself, oh, yeah, he probably knocked that thing over with the
1: bottle. I'm just surprised like no other driver has historically needed to do that. So is he just incapable of properly shaking that large champagne bottle? or Or why does he feel the need?
0: I would uh, argue, one, it looks badass, and two, he's probably generating more pressure inside that bottle than anybody else. So he gets more spray time, you know, at a higher pressure, which I think matters. Um, You know, and also he's a risk taker because you never know. One of those times you're going to pop that bottle down on the ground and the bottom's going to fall straight out of it, and you're going to cut your hand with glass. I mean, who hasn't done that with a beer bottle? So I I think it's... um, I think it's bold, I think it's courageous, and I think it adds to the entertainment value on uh, what can otherwise be just really boring and kind of repetitive podiums. I mean, seriously, name one other driver or one other thing that has ever spiced up the quality of a podium celebration aside from, you know, Muhammad trying to give out some second BS trophy at Silverstone while they're spraying champagne. Like, podiums are just so... The shoey. of course. The there you go. But the point being, like, people are remembered for stuff like that. And not a lot of guys go out of their way to do things for that.
1: So, and arguably the shoei is a health hazard. So at least this one has uh, you know more medically sound. But I do wonder, given the punitive nature of the FIA, uh, what what new regulation they will institute to prohibit bottle smashing whilst on the podium. It, it's only a matter of time. I'm more or less so just disappointed in the fact that it is probably one of the nicest, most interesting trophies on the calendar other than sort of like the driver's championship so um that's a little disappointing but <laughs> yeah
0: if you were gonna shatter a trophy shatter a, the Mo- monaco trophy it's just an outline of the track like who cares you know yeah i agree also would like, yeah this is like the jade egg they stole in oceans 12 you know <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> like super ornate <laughs> uh no fucks given um well, beyond that moment, I mean, I think my personal favorite uh, parts of the weekend had to come very early in FP1 with Perez offering such a bad starting performance that he's making children in the stands cry. Um, and then, you know, so much so that the the Red Bull saw this as like a public relations nightmare and had to invite the kid and his dad into the paddock for the remainder of practice. So good... Uh, Good public relations triage there. And then, I mean, pr- pr- prior to the race happening, I was super excited to see Joe get into Q3 and start as high as he did, um, only to be disappointed later. And then I think the highlight of the race was just, again, seeing Piastri not give up as Perez is trying to get by him and, and push him to the very end, uh, albeit a bit short-lived in the, the couple of corners that he was able to fight it.
0: I, I will concede that despite my my statements about it being an incredibly boring race, th- there were a couple isolated pockets of very genuinely good wheeled wheel racing, right? Purely coming from the fact that there was no easy clear the overtake before the end of the straight opportunities based on what the track would afford you. And so yeah, you did have guys going for really tight outside lines, fighting through, you know, the second and third parts of kind of a multi kind of turn. Sector, especially the connection between, I think turns one and two. Uh, so there were moments where you were like, "Whoa!" You know, and this is where Fernando did his crazy defense of of Lewis back in the day to protect Ocon's. Not back in the day; that was last year to protect Ocon's. You know, uh, when so 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 the track it has the ability to produce really good isolated side by sides, but it in the aggregate is not great for. Overtaking, I do do think that the new cars have helped, but it there's only so much you can do on this track. I think is my general view.
1: Yeah, I mean there's not long enough straights. I don't think it's structured well enough to have some sort of like back and forth racing. And I think one of the interesting potential policy changes that were highlighted during the race was the possibility was the overall like DRS approach with the the sort of double DRS zones off of a one detection. And I think it was Coulthard who proposed that should they really if a pass gets completed on turn one, should the driver who made the pass still then have DRS approaching turn two, basically allowing them to pull away from the driver they just passed? Or should that like negate your ability to use DRS and actually innate you know giving the the driver that got past a little bit more of a chance to battle back and personally i totally agree it seems odd that somebody could make the pass and then still have the benefit of of drs i'm sure that creates some gamification right but it's almost like they need a second detection or like a point immediately after the corner when to assess that they don't have drs anymore
0: so I guess my gut on that, I, I don't hate the idea, but I guess it, it probably depends on the track. Do we have any examples of like, um well, I guess Jeddah right? So Jeddah is probably the best example of a track on the counter today where like the back straight right before that hairpin to come around the home straight, that's one DRS zone and the home straight's a second detection point. And I think when we started at Jetta two years ago, a lot of guys didn't appreciate how those kind of layered together. And there was a lot of overtakes followed by re-overtaking on the home straight, and then they learned, right? But it, but even after that, like, because I remember Max and Charles battling real hard that way for a couple laps, and that was obviously very entertaining. But once drivers catch on to it, it basically makes the first DRS zone useless because everybody's just going to wait, right? Like, if if you if you make it to where the second one basically goes to, you know, resets the order of the cars, so. I don't know. I go back and forth on that. On a on a track where the second DRS zone in question is much shorter than the first, I could see it working. But if they're equal in length, like if you took um like Brazil as an example, right home straight and then you have turns 1 and 2 which are quick and then you get that second DRS zone, like I could see the overtaking becoming a little bit artificial in a place like Brazil. You know what I mean? If you immediately flipped back the car order and gave the trailing car DRS, like I think it's track specific. I don't know. I'm talking in circles now, a bunch of examples, but I'm not opposed to the idea. I think we got to be careful how it's applied.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think you would necessarily give it to the driver that just got passed, but if you look at the Hungaro ring, if a driver did not take advantage of the pass on turn one, just to maintain DRS into turn two, the probability of them making the pass is, is quite low. I mean, there was many cases where they make the pass and... And they were they were at risk for losing it if, if a driver kind of did the over under. So I think you would still have to be track specific, but it does seem it does seem odd that you get that extra bonus to like solidify the pass versus versus you know having to to go with no DRS. So it'll be interesting to see if that crops up in in other races throughout the the season as an option. All right. Well, we covered a little bit during the race, but let's jump back to the the start of the weekend. I alluded to uh, FP one. But FP1, I mean, we had to talk about it because well, let's take a step back. Even before FP1, the race weekend has not even started, and the the all attention, all of the fanfare centered on the return of the golden boy himself, the the best smile on the grid, Mister Danny Ricardo coming back,
0: the Prince of Perth. That's my dude name for him. The Prince of Perth
1: returns. (laughs) Pretty catchy. (laughs) Not bad. I I know. It's pretty
0: good, right? He actually is from Perth. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Done your research. (laughs) Um, I guess, question being, was it excessive? And was it so excessive because of his popularity or because the sport at the moment is starved for any level of? intrigue and controversy given the domination of of Red Bull and Max at the moment
0: it is 100% the latter and in that I have to ask you Gerald aren't you starving (laughs) aren't you hungry like don't you want some drama don't you want a little bit more meat on the bone than the typical just FIA slandering and on-track action like we we are starving my man and I'm sorry that Nick, you know, Nick DeVries had to be the sacrificial lamb. You know, we skewered him and roasted him over the fire and we've been devouring him all weekend, courtesy of the Prince of Perth. So I, um, I loved it. You know, I needed something to chew on. Uh, yeah. Was it excessive? 100%. Is Twitter excessive in every facet of life on every topic ever? Yes. So, you know, what do you expect?
1: I was less intrigued by all of the just personal elements of Ricardo and much more of like the game theory that that spawns out of that as you think through the advantages that Red Bull has of evaluating Sonoda versus Ricardo versus um, Perez and and now the the urgency that all three of them have. So I, I do think it was it was nice from that standpoint and, and set up the weekend well. Which now leads us to FP1, right? So, Ricardo, back in the car, talks of, you know, this is his chance to prove himself if he can keep pace or surpass Sonoda. Does he solidify his his Red Bull seat, or is he gone? This puts Checo in the hot seat. FP1, ready to get the weekend started. Perez almost maybe first on track. Turn 5, lap 1 practice one command bins it goes long and bins it into the wall i mean (laughs) what was your what was like crossing your head at that point in terms of the the narratives that were being spun immediately after the fact
0: yeah, I mean, listen. I was just—I felt the phone buzzing. The text started flying in. Uh, not great optics of it. Not great car damage, expensive. You know, confidence detractor. It was all bad, Gerald. There was no silver linings in that. And he—he he smacked the shit out that wall. So, uh, that was that was not an easy repair job. He kept his boys busy. I mean, there's just no good feelings coming out of that. So, also. He completely stopped the practice session, and by the time it had restarted, it was pouring rain. So <laughs> he basically is the reason that no one got any legitimate laps in an FP1. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was about as bad as they come. And I would be lying if I was sitting here and saying I wasn't kind of panicking a little bit on the inside. Uh, yeah. I mean, Not as yeah, bad for self- the benefit of hindsight, but at the time, yeah.
1: Yeah, at the time, you look at that and go – Wow, that, that that was the nail in the coffin that that sends him home at, at that point, you know, at the end of the season or as some maybe excessive takes called it before the summer break, which seems absurd, even more so now after the race. But I just speaking to the, the permeation of all like F1 media and expectations, even that poor kid understood, even you know, an eight-year old boy understood the implications of Checo, crashing in FP1. So um, all eyes on him for sure. So to your point, FP1 gets shut down. Most of the rest of practice goes off without him. um, Too much notable, um, which takes us to qualifying this weekend, having a unique qualifying, which I guess did impact how teams chose to run through practice, but in essence, reduced tire allocation overall. And then required compounds to be used in each of the sessions q1 starting on hards q2 mediums q3 soft what was your thoughts on the format did you think it it made for a more exciting qualifying do you think it resulted in the the closeness across drivers that we saw this weekend
0: no i think the regulations have led to the closeness and drivers <laughs> excuse me because that's been true literally all season um i uh i actually shared the perspective of i think several team principals kind of were of this accord which is it just felt a little bit forced you know and i think if at the end of the day their end objective is to reduce the number of tires in the uh weekend allocation from 13 to 11 for the name the name of sustainability which i'm all for i mean two tires per car per weekend is a ridiculous amount of savings in shipping and also just the cost of the rubber and the disposal, you know, um, considerations of that. But, but if they want to do that, just do it. And then let the teams work within the constraints between practice and qualifying about how they want to save their tires for that. Like, to me, the sport only gets more entertaining when you leave more things up to the discretion of the teams, including tire choice. Um you know, because then we have more weeks where we get to walk away asking the question, "What the f- was Ferrari thinking?" Right? Like when we make more decisions, there's to make. And I just, yeah, I don't really see a good reason from a comp- competition standpoint to to force a tire uh, choice on them. So
1: it's all about the uh, the active ratio, right? The number of decisions that the team gets to make is equivalent to the number of fuck ups that they that they can realize. Um, yeah, and I think the bigger I think the bigger change already came when when they removed the dependency on starting on whatever tire you, you qualified on. Right. And so I think that was probably the bigger move. And, and I still think that that's probably the biggest, one of the bigger opportunities in terms of making things like practice more interesting is actually better reporting on the compounds used, the age of the tires. Like there's so much data and an impact in that that goes almost totally unreported except different offhand comments behind by the, by the commentators or now at least they've started to show, you know, they've been showing more the age of tires on track. And so I think that's something they need to continue to push, to push more.
0: I I like where you're headed with that. And the other thing that it also, it also does is it makes the, it makes effing up in practice more punitive. If you slide and ruin a set of tires. Which I like. Like, I think that makes practice more compelling. Um, So, yeah, no, I I, I like what you're pointing at there. Hell, let's go from, let's take it to seven. Let's go straight from 11 to seven, you know, F it.
1: Well, and I mean, it's a good point, right? Because it is one of the things that makes practice interesting. If you don't get the information provided or you don't appreciate the impact that that can have later in the weekend, that idea that, yeah, driver went out on his first lap and, and totally, you know, flat-spotted a set of tires, well, shoot, that was one of X number of softs, and now that hurts you at qualifying, limits your strategy. I wish they pulled that that through line a little bit more throughout the, the weekend, and I think some better graphics and reporting on that during practice could go a long way to kind of making that whole picture clear, because at this point, it feels like a very, like, you got to sit there and watch three sessions of practice to really care about all of that. So it's a bit, it's a bit inside baseball, which I think is a small minority of people paying that, paying that close of attention. But yeah, on certain weekends that has huge implications on what drivers can do or what teams can do in the race. So again, I think that's where satisfying the the appetites of like the, the more serious fans is something that the team could continue to capitalize on instead of, or more likely in addition to capturing the, you know, the more casual, casual fans with the pomp and circumstance. So we'll see. All right. So that takes us through practice, getting into the game qualifying takes me, Q1 takes me to my least favorite part of the weekend, which was the fact that one weekend in I'm already down one in our Ricardo versus Sonoda qualifying bet and all the worse to the fact that, he only beat Sonoda by like 100th of a second to get into, into Q2. Uh, But give one to Ricardo Sonoda out and uh, out in Q1, Ricardo into Q2 glowed away.
0: I will have, you know that it was three, one hundredths of a second, not one, one hundredth of a second. So please give him his credit where it's due. Mm. Uh, And uh, yeah, (laughs) look, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away um, by Ricardo, but it, it was notable. I mean, let's also – I mean, Sonoda was lapping probably two tenths faster than him basically every lap through practice on equivalent kind of trim and then throughout Q1 until literally the last lap of Q1. So when we say he eked it out, like he eked it out, but also you've got to kind of – Got to forgive him for doing that because it's his first weekend in that car. So it's hard not to call what he did like relatively impressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, feels good. Feels good to be right. I'm not gonna lie.
1: Well, and and just because you were right, I feel the need for some sort of redemption. Checking the uh, checking the notes here. Spot eighteen spot nine zero six versus eighteen spot nine one nine. So it was spot zero one three difference. So basically thirteen thousandths difference. So I mean it was minute. But what's crazy is that separated basically four drivers. So I mean there was like the entire qualifying was super close. Um, but yes. He he did it, and look, it is credit to him. And I think, I mean, you have to say that alone was a win for the weekend, right? I mean, the expectations, even in the broadcast, were hey, if even if he's within a couple hundredths in qualifying, like that is success for your first weekend out. So to be on pace, even if it had been, even if they had both gone out in Q three, is a huge win for Ricardo. So so credit to him. Let's see if he can he can sustain. How
0: how in a broadcast can we make people better appreciate how close 1,000th of a second is? Because I don't know if
1: it really comes through. The only vis- the only things that I have, have really seen is either, and they haven't, I don't think they've been doing it quite as much, but like the side-by-side view, like being able to tee those up very quickly, like the back-to-back laps in between, like, in between qualifying sessions, I think they need to quickly pull up, like, Q, whoever got 15th versus 16th, or in this situation, like, whoever got, like, Ricardo versus Sonoda, or maybe it's somebody at the front of the field because they were really close, but I think you either need to do the side-by-side lap as a whole, because then you basically see there's no difference the entire time, or even just the final finishing shot of like they did it with, you could have seen it this race where they showed Hamilton versus Verstappen and that three thousandths of a second. And basically it's like six inches at the line or a foot at the line. So I think showing that a little bit more might, might help. You, you know
0: what I love watching on YouTube is those, uh, and I don't remember the name of the account that does these well, uh, There might be several, but you know, the ghost car remakes of laps where they'll show and it shows the relative performance of each sector. And if you watch the Max Hamilton one from this, from this Q1 or Q3, I mean, Hamilton had him basically the entire third sector and Max's exit on the last turn. Like he almost got it. Like it was very close, but to be able to see the, how the relative performance changes turn by turn is really compelling. I don't know that you can recreate that live in a broadcast just because of all the telemetry data you'd have to bring in. Like, it'd be tough to do in real time. But your point about, like, just show me how much it is in terms of a car length. It's like horse racing. Like, they measure things in the length of a horse. Like, I would be super interested to know if the difference in Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda qualifying in that order was literally, like, the width of a tire cover, you know? Like, that would be kind of cool, even if it's just a quick, like, one-second thing, you know?
1: Except I still hope that they just use horse lengths. That would be just, <laughs> for, just for Just for tradition's sake. Um, yeah, I mean, I, if they could do the, the ghost car, like, simultaneous view, because they put that graphic on the track where it's, like, cut up in sections and they'll color code based on who has the dominance, and that does not, I especially like those videos, and I don't know how accurate they are, but, like, the positioning on the track, too, like, left or right, like, horizontally, and so you can actually see, like, the approach and exit angles, um, I think if they could do more of that, that would be very fascinating in the, in the broadcast. And I have to think it is, it is feasible, but that I think also then gives you so much understanding when it comes to like where different drivers have the advantage on track during the race. Right. And I think contextualizes why they're pushing in certain areas or why they're, you know, especially like Williams is the often talked about one, right, where they're probably harvesting a lot of energy through the corners to save up for the straight and and pulling away at that point. So I think that would help, again, bring more more context to the race performance and, and why why drivers are doing certain things on on the track.
0: Well, at least now we know if Schwab shows you the door in the next couple of weeks, you've got a job as a content strategist at Sky. That must be
1: a good <laughs> feeling. It's always good to have uh, good to have options. All right, so that takes us through Q1. Triumph for Graham, plus one to you. We'll see if uh, we got 11 more races, and he needs, what, seven more qualifying performances, and Yuki needs seven for me. It's looking good so far. Um, All right, and with Q2, look, early on, I think Joe looked good going into seventh, but ultimately, you know, top ten were all separated by three-tenths of a second. Signs, Ocon, Ricardo, Stroll, and Gasly. All dropped. I mean, given that, do you really think at that point, like, there's many conclusions that you can draw when all of these drivers are within three tenths of a second? Which, you know, from doing a sim is like, you can't even get to, as an amateur, you can't even get two laps that are within three tenths of a second most of the time. So, how much can you really draw from that performance? Or some of this just luck and the smallest of things sort of. Creating the world yeah. of difference.
0: Well, I think in general it's really hard to draw, basically outside of Red Bull, it's really hard to draw conclusions about team performance in a week. And honestly, like it's just conf- you know further confirmation that if Max didn't exist, this season would be batshit crazy. We would literally right now, Gerald, be talking about whether McLaren had a chance to win the constructors' championship. We would be talking about that right now, if it wasn't for Max which is hard to fathom for a team that literally was last by a a significant margin for the first three races. So, yeah, man, it's tight. And I just, I wish, I mean, obviously I like to see Max winning, and this is historic in terms of the level of dominance, but we are, as a fan base, clearly underappreciating how the new rules have contributed to competitive parity, I think.
1: Well, and that's wow. where you get so much so much talk about how it's boring and and we're deprived of all this. Yes, for first place, from a, a Max standpoint, yes. If that's what you're evaluating the, the intrigue of the sport on, you're going to be disappointed. But to your point, it is a total toss-up. And when we said, when you made your prediction of would Max and Red Bull, would they win Constructors by more than they did last year? The thing I did not anticipate was the fact that there was – basically no clear second for the tyranny of the season. And I mean, it has changed every three to four races who's taking that that second place spot, which contributes to that gap in, for Red Bull. But man, as long as you're willing to look from second place on, it is hugely fascinating at this point. And as you said, you basically can't have any expectations going into any weekend, except that Ferrari will somehow fuck something up at some point that's the that's the only guarantee
0: the only teams I can really fully count out before a weekend are Haas and Alpine uh and then Ferrari usually takes himself out of it very quickly into the weekend but yeah I mean other than that everybody's basically in play so
1: all right well that takes us then to to Q3 which was fascinating um look first off Perez made it so I mean praise God for that He, he bended on lap one of practice, but the man at least made it into Q3, breaking a, what, five race streak of not making it into Q3. So big win to him. And I think the most interesting thing was the fact that I think it was known that it was disadvantageous once again to be first out on track. But basically every session he was lined up first to, to get a lap in before he would have Any traffic. And I thought that was, again, smart. And I think it was a conscious decision to say, look, you might get eighth, ninth, tenth in this session because of track evolution, but you're in Q3 and at least you'll get some decent laps. And so I think it was at least smart for them, as we've said, of he just needs a level set, get back to zero, have a decent, clean remainder of the weekend. And so from that standpoint, I I think it was a win. But let's be honest, you know, qualifying where he did um, in, what, ninth place is still a a disappointment. Um, Big time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I heard some things about the last – like the tire warm-up for his last lap in Q3. They did something kind of wrong. But at the end of the day, it's just like you can keep looking for excuses, but in a generationally dominant car, like you've got to be qualifying in the top five – no excuses. Top three, every yeah. every week, I, tar, tar, I, yeah, I don't disagree. Top three, but at minimum top five. Um,
1: well, and when does he not have issues with tire warm up? So, I mean, what is? It's been multiple, you know, two and a half years at this point. Like, can we get a? Can we get a change in in strategy? If he's going to go out that early, send him on two laps. Like, I don't know, but he's got to figure something out. It can't be an excuse anymore.
0: It it he it, his. It's funny how his his practice and his qualifying. If he hadn't had the race that he had, god, he'd be in a world of hurt right now. Like a world of hurt. I mean, there was a lot riding on that performance. Especially with Ricardo doing what he did.
1: And and the track being what it is and the difficulty to pass, it was like very easy to shape up that way. So so yeah, credit to you know, at least saving face during during the race. But Perez and his Largely disappointing qualifying once again. The inversely, Hamilton, the shock of the weekend on pole by three thousandths of a second, you know, a foot or less at the line, followed by Verstappen, then Norris and Piastri for McLaren, really making them the best qualifying team um, this weekend, followed by the shock of Joe in fifth, Leclerc, Botas, Alonso, Perez, and they were the only team with two drivers in the in the top 10. So credit to Hamilton, credit to McLaren, and and big shout out. I'm sorry, Botas was there as well. And, and Alpha Romeo um, coming out of nowhere with, with the Q3 performances. So what was your, I guess, what was your big conclusions or takeaways from the pretty mixed up Q3 that we had?
0: Shock up and down. Honestly, I, the McLaren performance might have been more shocking to me than the Hamilton performance. I mean, I at least knew coming into this weekend that, the Mercedes car likely would be more at home on slow-speed track like the Hungary Ring, and, you know, Lewis historically dominates here. So I had at least that to go off of. But, I mean, good God, McLaren, man, we just spent the entire last two weeks hearing from Lando about how that car is a piece of trash and slow-speed turns. Like, I was kind of expecting them to be fighting Williams, if I'm totally honest, uh, based on how he was talking. And it seemed like they didn't skip a step. From where they were in Silverstone, so um, look. I mean, I, the order of the constructors is shuffling so fast. It's for me to sit here and say like, McLaren's here to stay. I just, how could you? But it was, it was shocking based on what they were saying internally that they were, they didn't drop off at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a crazy qualifying. I mean, i I'd, I'd love to see. I mean, come on, man, like. You knew Max was going to get his during the race. And the fact that Hamilton outqualified him had no bearing on the end result. But, like, it was pretty cool to see him and Bono juiced in the car after crossing a line. Like, you remember when Hamilton's last pole was? Do you remember?
1: No doubt. I'm sure you'll remind me.
0: Jetta of 2021, Gerald. The week before the Abu Dhabi controversy. That's how long it has been since that dude has been on pole. Which is Crazy! That's nuts. It, 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 like we were due. So it, well, I, it, it was what it was since that season that he had
1: been on that. pole and had a win, right? And so this at least snapped the the qualifying or the pole position streak. So now he's just he's looking for his win. And and for me, it was I think it was P. Astry that was the bigger, not the bigger, but again he he's continuing to be there, right? It was not a flash in the pan. It wasn't one good weekend when the car performs and Norris is up there. Piastri's right, right behind him. So again, similarly first year in the car, I mean, awesome credit to him and and he's doing exactly what he needs to do and easily the, the standout, um, rookie of the year. And so far earning the, earning the, the controversy that he created and, and being worth the, worth the ire um, that McLaren received.
0: You know, here's the other thing you're pointing out, which I think is another valuable byproduct of competitive parity, is it gives the driver the opportunity to make the difference. And then you get a chance to see somebody like Piastri and really in a non-biased way be able to highlight their excellence in their rookie year because you know, because of how tight it is, like it's him. He's making the difference. He's not making the mistake and outbreaking himself and losing a 10th in qualifying. Like it's him. He's making the difference, and I, I think that's really cool to see. Well,
1: and and then the biggest in mystery for me is is still where where Alfa Romeo came from, huh. right? Yeah. And because you've seen Haas, where you would think, okay, you know, Ferrari customer team, probably sim- you know, similar fun- fundamental design elements. Like, why aren't they? regularly kind of popping up higher and qualifying and then sliding back in the race due to higher tire deck, but they just haven't been there at all. And then all of a sudden this weekend, popping up there in a huge way. And unfortunately we didn't really get to see how that manifested in the in the race after, you know, the first six feet of the of the start. (laughs) But, you know, I it'd be again nice to see them up there as well. The more the merrier and you know, I just hope that that wasn't a, a once in a once and done. All right. Well, that takes us then, I think, to the race itself. Um, let's pick up on that theme where uh, Joe, fifth place, best qualifying ever. I'm thinking, man, he showed it in, in qualifying. You know, you only might get one race a year where it can be your standout race. I mean, DeVries got a whole drive off of a surprisingly good performance and so man joe or like half a, question- drive. half a drive and this is his chance though to say hey if there are doubters i deserve to be here because the driver makes the difference as you said and unfortunately race start anti-stall loses multiple positions basically slides to the back of the grid and worse than that trying to compensate for that going into turn one smashes into the back of of the golden boy ricardo who then bowling balled into both alpines causing their second in a row double dnf um one is is joe taking botas's uh mentorship a little bit too much to heart and and two did that totally (laughs) overshadow his his great qualifying performance
0: Uh, to answer the last question directly, 100 effing percent it overshadows his qualifying performance. How many many points did he get this weekend, Gerald? How many points?
1: I think it was exactly zero.
0: Exactly. Exactly zero is the correct answer. I think that, look, I mean, I, I can't be too harsh on him, although I'm going to be. He, he was so far up the grid, he was a little bit further up the grid than his britches could manage. A little bigger than his britches. And he just, you know, he just shit his pants a little bit. Not like a total, like, you know, blowout, I'm going to have to throw these things away. But, like, you know, definitely threw the underwear out. Like, had to, you know, had to run to the bathroom. Like, it wasn't good. And, you know, people around him knew. So, uh, yeah, I'm... I, and also, like, you know, he took out the Prince of Perth You know, uh, and almost ruined his race, which I took a little bit hard after being super excited about his qualifying performance. So, yeah, I wasn't happy about it. I will say, I think that Botas actually deserves a little credit for how quickly he swung around Joe at the start. Because he easily could have just plowed straight through him, and we have seen that happen before. So...
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that was just a little bit of a shart by by Joe. I think he full on dumped in his pants. So yeah, he was definitely <laughs> washing those in the sink. Oh man. Um, so with that being said, uh, the 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 biggest victims were the Alpine team. Um, you know, did did you have any sort of sympathy or uh, for them and and their race ending on basically lap one?
0: I do want somebody to pull the data and tell me if there has been another team in the last three years that's had their cars come together more than Alpine. Cause I assure you the answer is no. <laughs> and it's not even intentional. It's like unintentional collisions between teammates. And it, I just, it is just so beautiful. Um, I hope it never stops.
1: Well, and it doesn't even matter which drivers, right? It's, it's bound to happen. Well, and this was only exacerbated by the fact that I watched the, the Alpine like Drive to Survive episode this weekend and it just made me think so much less of the team with you know they made Otmar look to be such a goofball right trying to speak other languages to people and you know being the least cutthroat team principal on the grid and then the um, the CEO Rossi just totally creeped me out with how he drinks wine with like his Lips protruding so much into the glass. Everything about it was just distasteful. So um, I'm, I'm quickly joining your camp of um, happy to see, happy to join in their downfall.
0: Dude, they're just pretenders. Sell your team to Porsche and do us all, or Andretti for that matter, and do us all a favor and just go back to your chateaus.
1: <laughs> so first lap incident aside, you know, that, on top of that, Hamilton didn't have the best best start, so that put him on the back foot for the remainder of the race. But beyond some of that, the the rest of the race, as we said, was a bit dry, but a couple of interesting things maybe to call out on team strategy. So let's, let's run through the question of were they right or were they wrong, starting with Ferrari. So maybe this is a bit of a gimme, because there is only one right answer.
0: I gotta. I got. A, I got I, I, honestly, Gerald, I think I'm enacting a policy of permanently muting their team radio until they sort this shit out. I mean, in all seriousness, like Carlos signs does genuinely no longer takes any instruction from his race engineer. He makes every single call, and then Leclerc's, you know, not quite that bold, never will be, and he's just, so he's just over there, you know, basically just like a wounded puppy. I, it is a joke, and I honestly, genuinely when do you start asking whether Fred Vesscher should have this shit figured out by now like it is egregious how undecisive they continue to be every single week it is the in a season of the most unpredictable relative car performance every week this is absolutely the other than Max winning this is the most predictable thing about the twenty twenty three season you won't tell me another Pick another one. It it is. I mean,
1: at this point, you have to assume it's part of the design and not a bug, right? Because it is such a (laughs) staple, and and I just like viewing it. So, first off, I do not turn it off. I have separate screens dedicated to both Ferrari drivers' team radio because I do not want to miss (laughs) a moment of the action. And I like viewing them through like the the stages of grief. I think Leclerc is still a bit in the in the denial stage. Um, or maybe the anger—more so the anger. I think he's getting to anger now. Whereas, um, signs is full on like acceptance and just will take his own decisions for better or for worse. Um, but he—he's no longer listening. I mean, so let's run through the details. I mean, you had signs out of the gate, starting on softs, making up a ton of positions early, more so probably than the team expected, ending up right behind Leclerc a couple laps in, being asked to be let by Leclerc on softs. They did not. Do you think that was the right call or the wrong call?
0: Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter with how hard they fucked the rest of the race. It wouldn't have made a difference. So it's kind of hard to say it was consequential. If they have actually been a team capable of executing the rest of the race, then I think it probably was the wrong call. But also... Was signs overtaking any of the cars in front of Leclerc? Also, probably not. So, honestly, I could go either way on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of criticism. He was only sitting behind Leclerc for a couple of laps. But again, you would think, hey, we got a guy on sauce behind. Let's say he clears. Let's. They don't even presume success of their strategies because if they had, they would say, hey, what if signs is really successful and clears the cars and get up to Leclerc? What are we going to do? Because God knows that's always a shit show. Um, I would have said. Yeah, wave waving by quickly as you can, and if it doesn't work out and you need to go back the other way, fine. But again, it was almost like they were like, "All right, he got behind Leclerc. Like that's good enough for us. We'll just we'll go with that moderate success and and move ahead."
0: Their their pit wall is just like a poo cocktail of like self defeated pessimism and incompetence. I mean, it just is like
1: <laughs> equal parts. <laughs> Well and then the um and then the next piece on top of that was basically signs being hunted down by, by Perez. And it, it basically just seemed like signs telling them, Yeah, I'm gonna come in when I'm when I'm ready. Like, I'm not coming in. Maybe when Perez looks like he's gonna pass me, you could call me in. But short of that, I'm gonna stay out. And they're like, All right, sounds good. <laughs>
0: It's not even a discussion. He's like he's like lecturing at the front of the room, you know, just like drawing basic shapes and everybody, all the pit walls taking very detailed notes because it's shit they've never seen before.
1: <laughs> well, and then this wasn't strategy, but, you know, Leclerc comes in and I, at some point, man, you got to just feel bad for this guy because he can do almost everything right and it just doesn't matter because Leclerc comes in, nine-second pit stop, basically gives more credence to letting signs by later but then later he's wanting some clarity on strategy of what they're going to do and i think the answer they come back in the i was like oh we'll talk about it at the end and Leclerc's like fuck you will like what do you mean the end like we're in the middle of the race like can we get like an answer now so i mean it's got to be the single most frustrating team to to drive for with with strategy
0: Dude, the uh, the only thing I can think of, the reason why Leclerc is not totally losing his shit right now and is kind of, like, quieted down a little bit is because he must be getting so many calls from other teams who are like, dude, we're going to get you out of there. Like, we want you... He He's like Jimmy G when he got traded to San Fran. He's, like, single and ready to mingle. He knows he's going to have options. He's already quit on Ferrari in his mind, and he's just, like, trying to get through the rest of it. You know what I mean? Like... I, I think that that's, that could be happening inside of him.
1: Well, and I would say even more so, that's got to be happening for Signs, right? Because he's even more expressly frustrated, whereas Leclerc, you know, at least espouses his his loyalty for the team. Signs that is not even, you know, not even on the radar anymore. Like, he has to be entertaining other options as well. So they could very quickly be losing both of those drivers.
0: What if Daniel Ricciardo gets loaned to Ferrari by Red Bull next year? <laughs> it's not the craziest Dude, thing I've ever said.
1: I mean, thinking about where does Ricardo go because again, I have a hard time seeing them replacing Perez for a year if they if they have interest in another top, you know, clearly top-tier driver, which Regardless of how Ricardo performs, I don't think he fits into that category anymore. So yeah, I mean, if you see a a departure of Leclerc and signs, who do they go to? Maybe that's, maybe that's uh, Ricardo's shot. And then that poor guy, oh man, his like happy-go-lucky nature, that would be truly the, can you imagine the sad narrative that that (laughs) is of like the smile finally wiped from Ricardo's face as he's listening to his Italian team strategists?
0: You know, the, do you remember the team radio in Monaco the year that he in 18 when he should have won with Red Bull and they bungled his pit stop and Hamilton ended up winning and he just had that. He just said no words, no words on just team silence. radio on, on repeats. <laughs> he was like, no words, guys. Just leave me alone. I mean, how often would that happen? Oof, I'd love i the, I'd love the side
1: by side pictures of like Ricardo through his entire career and then Ricardo at Ferrari. Just a scowl and like aged, like he was the president. <laughs> I hope that happens now. Uh, I, I think we need to keep that uh, keep that top of mind. All right, so I think Ferrari dude, we, were they right we or were they need, wrong? They were. We wrong. don't
0: need. We don't need the Prince of Perth tangling with the bup, the Muppets of Marinello. Mar- Mar-
1: Mar- 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 <laughs> <laughs> you're really hot on the alliteration today,
0: like Dr. Seuss. <laughs>
1: Oh man. Um, all right, well let's go to, let's go to McLaren then. So, um, you had Piastri in front of Norris, Hamilton coming from behind, they pit Norris first, who subsequently was able to undercut Piastri. Right decision, wrong decision to pit Norris first versus Piastri.
0: I mean, if, if, um, if Piastri and Norris's pace had bared out over the remainder of the race to really be level, then it would have been unfair to Piastri. But it's kind of hard to deny in hindsight that McLaren was right if what they were optimizing for was give the track position to the car that we know is going to be faster over the remaining race distance. Because they that's that's what happened. So I, on one hand, I'm like, okay, Piastri earned the position, it being very racy on the first lap and having a great start, so he's he deserves track position. But in re- reality, we know that's not how team strategies are decided, um, and they're optimizing for the full race distance. So I think they did the right thing, and honestly, it's one of the reasons why I like Piastri as much as I do. Is he he was like very clear eyed about that in the post presser. You know, he wasn't like talking like Mick Schumacher was that one year after or after Austria last year, when he's like, you know, this is what I deserve from the team. And He's was, he was like, no, like, sure, could I have looked at it in a microcosm and called it unfair? Yeah, but there's a million other things in that race that I need to do better, so I'm just going to focus on that and shut the F up. Like, and I, I like, really respect that, so.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, later race performance aside, you're trying to fend off Hamilton, it was the right move to to cover him off by pitting Norris earlier. And then, you know, turned out to be an even better strategy as, as Piastri continues, it seems to struggle on on the hard tire relative to the medium. And so that being kind of the biggest thing for him that he needs to improve is just comfort with that with that compound, I think, which was exacerbated by the, the change of the tire mid-season as well. But to your comment of like overall mentality, I would agree. I, I think post-race was great. I also loved the the way he handled the the Perez battle and his team coming on the radio saying, Hey, did Perez push you wide? And he's like, eh, it wasn't a lot of space, but like he was not clamoring for for, you know, a steward's intervention. He was pretty much like, eh, it was fine. Um so respect to him for that because I think what it was at earlier in the weekend during practice, Ocon is is in the heading out of the pits and Sonoda like comes out in front of him, but pretty safely, and and jumps on the radio immediately, complaining about Sonoda being released unsafely, and even Palmer on the on the commentary is like, "Dude, just do the job, like get on with it. What are you bitching about? It's like FP two, like come on." Um, and so I just think that contrast like plays shows really well for for Piastri, as you said. C- couldn't agree
0: more. I think it's kind of a little bit of an Australian thing of like not being a bitchy prima donna and just like get down to business, you know. Um, I I would, you know, it's not like I sat around listening to Mark Webber's team radio when I was 8 years old, but like I could imagine him personality-wise being that way. You don't really hear Ricardo bitching on team radio a lot. Like I just appreciate he you know, it's like the def, it's kind of like um similar to in in international football like not being a flopper. It's like, yeah, man, like you just don't lose sight of the bigger picture, take ownership of the shit, you know you can do better and just put your head down and go fucking race. And you're probably going to end up ahead of the guys who are back there bitching about God knows what. <laughs> Hello, George Russell, uh, at every other you know lap of the race. So like, I, he's. It's interesting because Piastri's not. I wouldn't call him a dynamic personality, right? In the way that Ricardo is, but he's incredibly likable. Um, so I, maybe he's going to be a slow burn for me. I could see myself becoming a huge fan of his over time.
1: I, I think you're right. There's there's certain something about the kind of the the broader Australian mentality, right? Is like serious about the business, get down, do your work, like maximize that as best you can. But at the same time, there's a certain element of like being pretty casual or laissez-faire about some of the other personal stuff. Like you're not nitpicky You're you know, you're willing to take things in stride. So, um, but yeah, to your point, he's not as, you know, as colorful of a character, but I think that that simplicity will... Will serve him well, kind of long term.
0: And, and honestly, I, I think I am kind of jealous of the Aussies in general that they get guys like this, you know. And meanwhile, we're stuck over here with Logan Sargent, just like grasping at straws. And I am just like, God, I just give me one cowboy, just give me one man. Like Australia's got like thirty million people in it; it's not a big country, and they've just cranking got sportsmen like this out. It's just like, dude, what are we doing wrong in our country? Like.
1: Ugh. if you want a cowboy watch the rodeo um <laughs> all right last on on team strategy had to touch on it i know you're gonna hate me but unlike the other controversies of who gets let by who aston martin does not seem to have that problem <laughs> alonzo quickly ushered by stroll no questions asked i mean he just rolled out the red carpet um <laughs> <laughs> anything to anything to add uh
0: i have stated you can go back and check my previous record on my comments of what is motivating him in relation to lawrence stroll and uh you know in service of my own physical safety i'd rather not express those again here on this this episode so uh, follow the money gerald that's all i'll say follow the money
1: <laughs> pleading the fifth this week all right wise yep. see can see your learning well done <laughs> Um, all right and then I guess in terms of other strategy so I mean Perez pitted while trying to pass Hamilton basically was trying to pass him for for three laps really couldn't get by him good defense by Hamilton couldn't quite did not seem aggressiveness as aggressive on on kind of that turn one entry I mean what was your kind of takeaways from these let's say let's be honest failed attempts to to clear Hamilton
0: I think it's a little bit uh harsh on Perez one because he had great overtakes on a number of other drivers Piastri Alonzo signs and Russell uh and two like he was also trying to overtake a car that was running him down in the last you know 10 laps of the race uh you know another three laps and Hamilton probably had him so I don't I don't know that I'm Overly hard on him for not necessarily just pulling that move off right away, especially on a track like Hungara Ring. So, um, he he did fine in in the race trim.
1: Well, and you see something kind of similar later in the race as Perez is trying to hunt down Norris, right? Which is the nuance of how effectively drivers utilize blue flagged back markers to to pass or actually create barriers for the driver that's that's hunting them. And I think you just saw that slightly different caliber between Norris and Hamilton in this race of how cleanly they move by back markers, how they really optimize the time for getting by them so that it creates more, you know, and in this case, it's really quickly going into turn one, home straight, clear the back marker, and then you basically left Perez the whole rest of the lap sitting behind whichever driver um, again and and so I think Perez just struggled a little bit with that this race as well which I think complicated his ability to chase down Norris and ultimately let Hamilton close it up um, again so clearly a boring race when you're you're looking at how effectively drivers are optimizing blue flag passing but it is what it is
0: should should we enact a rule that says that as soon as you get lapped by the lead car you have to retire
1: mmm you're just, your race is done at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, why Why should backmarkers be influencing the happenings at the front of the grid where the overtaking is points consequential? Like, what, what good does that do to the sport? Like, it's completely artificial relative to the actual raciness of those
1: cars. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Just send them in. You got lapped. I, I guess the only problem is there might be some races this season where, it might only be Max and two other drivers out on the on the grid at the end. So I so, mean.
0: so be it. We had a race start two years ago where Hamilton was the only car in on the grid. You know, like I'm open to it. You know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm all I'm all about punching down on the less fortunate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we,
1: know. we know, You're a big a big down puncher. Um, I mean, look, they're they're trying every other freaking thing this year. Might as well might as well give it a shot.
0: Hey, while we're fucking with the format, yeah.
1: Um, all right. Well, let's. We we've touched on it a couple of times, but let's come back now. The big the big battle of the weekend: Sonoda versus Ricardo. Ricardo beat Sonoda in qualifying. Did you take any more away from Ricardo's performance throughout the the race? And can you chalk it up to anything but a, a huge huge success this weekend?
0: Yeah, I mean, dude, when he went into the through the turn and turn one after he got hit by Joe, I mean, I was like, yeah, there's no way he's not last, you know, amongst the non DNF cars. Like he'll just never recover that. And I mean, he climbed back up to his grid position, which is kind of um, uh, amazing in that car. Um, And I, I think, you may know more about what happened to him intra race than I, but my understanding is that he basically called his shot during the second stint and went long on tires and essentially overcut, like, five cars. Uh And it was his call. I think it was a discussion with his engineer, but, like, it was his desire to, to, to try that. So, credit to him, you know? It's like, he didn't panic. He seemed to be not being afraid to be aggressive, which... If you know on your first race back with all of those expectations, you wouldn't blame if if he was a little bit cautious. But he kind of was; just seemed like he was like, "Fuck it, we're gonna roll the dice and see what happens," you know. And like, that's the Daniel Ricardo that I think is probably the one that's gonna do a little better than the McLaren Daniel Ricardo. So I don't know. You know, I'm not look. It's he didn't cure cancer, but like, it's kind of hard not to be impressed especially after the the collision in turn one
1: i mean he didn't finish in the points i believe he started where he qualified or he finished where he qualified right so but to your point you know yes could he have taken the conservative up sure that would have been maybe advisable but at the same time really what does he have to lose so yeah i would agree love to see that decision love to see him banking on himself and you have to hope that that confidence continues because that's the only thing that's going to keep him around um if that gets shattered He's you know, he's going to be right back where he was. So let's let's hope he maintains.
0: Well, let's not forget about the other half of the equation too. Like we're about to see what Yuki Sinot is made of or not made of, because, like that, you know, this is it's time to sink or swim, buddy. Like the, everybody is now has their eyes on you because their eyes are on Daniel Ricardo, and you have every advantage for the rest of the calendar. Uh, so you know, put up or shut up, man. Like this could be his undoing as well.
1: Well, and and look, he basically held court for the race, just like Danny Rick did, right? I mean, he picked up his two spots off of the the Alpine DNFS and finished two behind Ricardo instead of four. So, um, yeah, I mean, but but he has to show it in, like I think we said, he has to show it in qualifying. And at the end of the day, he's got a he still got to finish ahead of of Ricardo and and arguably should have, given how the start went. But you know, I don't think you can really. Say one way or the other, except to say Ricardo did probably better than most people expected. So
0: did you see did you see the picture on you know how the uh Sky Sports had the kid kid reporters around the paddock this weekend? Did yeah, you know yeah. That? Did you see that the kid reporter was taller than Yuki Sonoda? Like by no. a significant margin. <laughs> and I think I think Sky Sports put him on blast, like on their Twitter account. I was like, oh man, you can't be
1: doing that. That's cold, man. Give the guy a break. Yeah, <laughs> Pretty oh. cold-hearted, Yeah, <laughs> No mercy. Oh man. Yep. All right. Well, let's. We got a couple of quick questions for you. Then we'll get into some post-race debrief. But um, one one thing I had to ask that seemed like such an oddity in the race. But at one point, what lap sixty-two? Russell's asking if if he can pit, and he's like, you know, eight laps to go." He's a second and a half behind signs. I mean, was that just was that just a bluff? trying to fake out signs like he was going to pit and if it was, was that the worst bluff of all time?
0: Honestly, if you think you need to bluff Ferrari to beat them on race strategy, you are severely (laughs) misguided because I can assure you they will beat themselves. Stop inventing, George. (laughs) Stop inventing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was just a brain fart moment to be honest with you. Um, But who knows?
1: Yeah, that was so weird. Like, what is he trying to accomplish? So, um, to your point, yeah, he does not need to play chess with the, the masters of checkers
0: to the team that's already got the gun held to their own head. (laughs) 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 Just a few words of encouragement. will do George.
1: (laughs) They're playing Russian roulette with themselves. Um, all right. And, and I think this is a fitting, fitting close to the race, but You know, one of the final laps, GP like checking in on Verstappen with just the most casual, like, "Hey, we haven't talked in a while. Everything, everything good?" Verstappen's like, "Yep, just, just rolling." I mean, is there gonna be like a an asleep at the wheel moment every race now? Because this is not the first, the first one
0: they're going to have to put one of those features on the car like Tesla's have. They like vibrate the steering wheel to make sure that you're still like attending on autopilot. (laughs) Red Red Bull's going to have to install one of those steering wheel vibrators. Um, Yeah. Look, I mean, let's, we've talked a lot about everything, not Red Bull, but we, 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 we don't need to overlook the fact that this is not a track. If there is a track on the counter, that's not suitable to them. It's probably one of, it's probably this one. And they are still cruising, man. Like, well, that's what's
1: kind of weird, especially oh. after the narrowing of a couple of races, where, as they'll say, this was expected to be one of their worst races or worst tracks of the season, and they cleared the field by thirty-five seconds. You know, half a well, lap, or half a second a lap. So,
0: I I, mean, I can't remember the line items of all the upgrades they brought, but before this race, there were several side pods. I think were part of it as well. Yeah. dude, and Spa look the hell out <laughs> that car might literally lap the field
1: twice all right well before we get there we will i know you're excited for for spa before we get to the prognostications on spa mclaren two weekends in a row great pace good in qualifying good in race we we thought maybe it was a flash in the pan from the prior weekend and silverstone does not seem to be the case 11 races remain this season, they picked up 18 points on Ferrari this week. They picked up 25 points on Aston. They are currently 80 points behind Ferrari and 97 points behind Aston Martin. Basically, they picked up a quarter on both of those margins um, this race alone. Do you think they surpassed Ferrari? Let's make another bet here. Do you think they surpassed Ferrari and or Aston Martin? in Constructors' Championship in the 11 races remaining this season? And if so, do you think one is more likely than the other?
0: I think they can beat one, probably not both. And I'm torn on which one. Because if you look at a- like Aston, they have Stroll, which is just a huge liability. So they only have and one driver. Yeah, it's one versus two, so there's that. And then Ferrari has two good drivers in a terrible team, so it's like, I don't really know who to give the nod to. Um, so therefore, I'm just going to say, I'll split the, mi- the middle and say they'll beat one of them, but not both of them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think I, I, I love the framework that you've provided for another reason, which is a way to view the relative performance of Stroll. And if if aston martin gets passed but ferrari doesn't what you're basically saying is stroll is worse than ferrari strategy um, which is about all you need to all you need to know um, but i think you're right i if, if i had to plant one i'm going to say in aston martin's case you have one driver every race the the degree of impact of ferrari strategy failures is at least contingent or variable from race to race. And so I think they might eke out some more points there. So albeit they only have, you know, 80 points on McLaren at the moment, I think they last longer than than Aston Martin. And uh, and Aston Martin falls by the wayside on on the back of the ability to only ever get more than one point.
0: I still don't think we've seen the last of Aston Martin. You know, like I, mm. they've got some intra-year development to bring on. And I, I'm not counting Alonzo out to win a race for the end of the season, but over the course of the race season, I I think I agree. They've got a better shot at catching Aston.
1: Oof, so we're calling an inversion. Aston then would fall, what, all the way to fifth at that point? So, man, Maybe. that would be – at that point, dude, if they fall – well, I mean, yeah, if they fall to fifth, Stroll's got to go, right? I mean, yes, but
0: no, Gerald. We've said we've talked about this many I just times. See
1: God, what? That's just sickening.
0: He's gonna. Was he gonna do fire the reason he's an investor in the sport in the first place? You know, like as much as you and I would love that. I mean, maybe, maybe Red Bull will loan Daniel Ricardo to Aston Martin. Alonzo will sign another year, and then. Uh, you know, Stroll will be like the PR, the cute, you know, third driver PR guy on the Instagram pages. Like I don't know, but crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's disgraceful. For sure. Yeah, if they were to it's lose indeed. basically
1: second place to to drop to fifth, lose three spots in the constructors because of your your one driver's performance. Yeah, that's that's pretty sad because Alon's is still sitting third in in drivers, just ahead yeah. of Hamilton. And Stroll's yeah. down in ninth, just barely clear of, of Ocon, who hasn't even finished in two races. Yeah, I mean, I, Stroll's... And Piastri's going to like, be quick on his heels. I mean, Piastri's only 18 points behind Stroll at this point. I mean, shit, he'll make that up in the next two races.
0: God, and don't I want to see Piastri eat his lunch. I mean, just in terms <laughs> of likability, man, like, let him eat. Oof.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Craziness. Um, all
0: how, right. How... I, I don't want to take I don't I don't mean to take shots at all of Canada right now, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> how, how badly do you wish that like the persona of Australians was like what Canadians were? Mm. How cool would that be if we had a neighbor who pumped out people like Australians? That would be great, you know?
1: Dude, I don't know if we could handle it because if you think about like the, the redneck subculture of Australia can you imagine the, the fourth? Can you imagine the the respective Independence Days, dude? I think it's just too much, too much <laughs> volatility on one on one continent. I think we I think we're good to have a the world's largest ocean between us. Far too yeah, similar. Fair. We need yeah, a we that's... need a little bit of a moderation up north. <laughs> that's God. True. It would be interesting. Um, all right. With that, um, let's see. What else do we have? I mean, I think the only other two more things here on in post race. Right? So there's some some commentary during the week of, you know, Alonso claiming that the newly introduced tires, kind of harder construction, potentially lower DAG, have hurt Aston Martin in particular, along with Red Bull relative to other teams. You buy that?
0: Kind of, but also, who cares? <laughs> right, like I. I I, I, Welcome to F1. Every season, the regulations move in some way, shape, or form that advantages some teams and disadvantages others. You know, Mercedes got disadvantaged from their low-rate configuration a little while back. Like, it happens, man. So, like, do I think it's the sole contributor to Aston Martin's recent slide? No. But it's probably not factually just completely unfounded. I mean, there's got to be something. Intuitively, it makes sense. Based on the tendencies of that car, um, but also like Alonso, like shut, shut up, and sh- you know just, just drive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's probably had some, but, but again, I think it's probably more so the development of the other teams around him. I, I do like how they yeah. bumped, lumped Red Bull into there. I was like, oh, it doesn't seem to be impacting them that much. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, Red, I think Red Red trying to, Red. trying to make a bit of excuses for the, for the team.
0: Yeah, Red Bull didn't ask for that. They didn't ask for that to be associated with that. <laughs> Leave that yeah. out of this.
1: <laughs> Don't loop us into this. We're still winning. Um, all right, last question here. Hamilton qualified on pole, still performed great during the race. Do you think do you think he's still being a little bit too negative or harsh week over week about his his team's performance? His car's well, performance of- in particular.
0: 100%, I I'm glad you asked this question. I I'm getting a little tired of it. Like, you know, he's in arguably the second best car on the second best team in the grid depending on the week. He just qualified on pole. I clearly it's just coming from a place of his expectations being set at competing with Verstappen, but I mean, dude, like look around you. Like I I think it's about time you reset your expectations at least this season. You know, Um it's not like he's getting his break speed off by his teammate, you know, like if anything, it's the opposite. So I, I think he needs to give the boys at Brackley a little bit of grace. Um, you know, I think they're moving in the right direction. So I don't know. I-
1: yeah, I mean, I think it might be, I think it might be a little bit much, but you'd have to know more about the respective cultures of the teams. Right. Because at the same time, I still like the fact that Max is disappointed that he didn't get pole, right, by three thousandths of a second and and will quickly criticize kind of where the, the car ended up in, in qualifying. So I do think there's an element of, you know, you really didn't see that level of criticism or scrutiny from Hamilton last year, even though the car was so much worse. And I think it was almost like we're so far off and I'm just trying not to get a herniated disc that, you know i'm I'm not even seeking that level of performance, but now that they're a bit closer, you know he's searching for those marginal gains. and so I, I think you know, if you've built the culture and the expectations in that way, I'm all for it and and holding the team to a high standard. But yeah, I mean, from somebody in a leadership position as well, I think you just have to be mindful to to balance that as well, right and and praise the praise the progress and praise the development. so i I guess I don't see it as that big of a big of a deal. I'm just,
0: I'm monitoring the situation. That's all. Mm, That's fair. That's fair. Taking in data.
1: All right. Um, All right. Well, with that, let's let's jump to our DNF of the week. Who do you have?
0: This is going to come a bit out of left field, but I'm going to put number one, Sky Sports for having these absolutely god-awful guest pundits, most notably Nico Rosberg and Danica Patrick. Get them off every broadcast for the rest of my life. Like, absolute value destroyers for completely different reasons. I am so sick. I I don't want to listen. If I see his name or her name in the thumbnail of a YouTube clip that highlights the weekend, I am not watching it. Like, full stop. What are the different reasons between the two? Well, Rosberg is, like, artificially controversial. Like, just going at people's throats for no fucking reason. Like, not even in a way that's, like, Ah, he's stirring the pot, you know. He's doing it for the fans. It's just like no, like you're just going out of your way to like be an asshole. So like every time Christian, yeah, every time Christian Horner gets into the microphone in a post race interview with him, he looks like he wants to just like choke him. I mean, it's like it's horrible. And then Danica Patrick might be the most flat, monotone, unenergetic interview I have ever heard in my life. She and she's gotten no better. At any point. Like, if you want to add her to the American races, you know, for, yeah. like, a five-minute segment, fine. Don't drag her all the way to Budapest to just be <laughs> laying these eggs left and right, man. Like, get Natalie Pinkham in there. Or anyone else. Like, sh- I literally anyone else. Like, I just can't do it
1: anymore. All right, so so maybe have her for the American races, but. Would you take her over Willie T. Ribs?
0: <laughs> Most certainly not. <laughs> I take I take Willie T. Ribs in the booth in place of Colthard, and I like Colthard. You know, like
1: oh, man. can't be Willie.
0: No, nah, no. Oh
1: man, how about you, um, Joe? He just broke my heart.
0: <laughs> he he got me
1: so excited, and, um, and and just didn't deliver. So. It, Highest highs to the lowest lows.
0: Yeah. Tough tough to tough to leave him out. That I think that's merited.
1: Yeah, he, he he deserved uh a little shade there. How about uh inversely, how about on the podium?
0: Uh honestly, this is gonna be a bit of a bit of a bait and switch here, but I'm gonna say Zoe for taking out the <laughs> Alpines. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he put a couple in the dub column there, so
1: gotta give him credit. It all depends on what you're optimizing for, I guess. Anybody <laughs> else other than uh, than Joe I, as a human human cannonball? So let me
0: put Joe first, second. I'll put Norris for his podium celebration because I just I just love to see it. Uh, and then third, Hamilton for pole. I mean, it's just kind of hard to ignore that one.
1: Well, what about uh, what's your thoughts on Horner and the and the jousting with with Nico Rosberg? Oh,
0: I'm. Close third, close tie for third. Love to see Nico Rosberg getting lit on fire for his harsh takes on Perez. Although they are merited, they're unnecessary. Uh so yeah, I that's honestly much must see TV. If you needed a reason to watch the post-race show and you know Nico Rosberg's gonna be on there, <laughs> every time Hamilton gets the mic, he literally spends the entire interview figuring out how to passive aggressively throw Nico Rosberg under the bus.
1: Well, and I didn't even pick this up, but what was the whole like Barbie? barbie controversy i mean that had to be at least some redeeming quality for the, his appearance this weekend didn't he get like compared to barbie or ken or something like, no
0: i would hope the comparison was with ken and not with barbie <laughs> but i could see it either way
1: <laughs> either one of them would have been appropriate
0: <laughs>
1: oh man oh man all right well let's um well for myself personal podium i mean i'll keep it a little bit more uh between the lines i think mclaren across the board once again Hamilton got to give it to him, and then, as I said earlier, Red Bull Media Relations for uh, triaging the the weeping child. You can't have that on their conscience at the uh, at the end of a weekend. So I think they I think they they resolved that as well as they could have.
0: All right. So well, uh, also, but why, so while we're on the Red Bull support system, I do want to make sure that the Red Bull pit crew gets a shout out for the one point eight second pit stop for Perez. That was unreal in the new era of pit stop rules we hadn't seen the sub two seconds all year maybe once but definitely not one eight that's like seeing a four two at the combine like that is that is fast very fast
1: that um good good call out they definitely deserve they deserve that um all right so as we look ahead to spa this weekend i believe so a little back-to-back action uh going to the famous spa before the before the summer break um, just as a recap from last season, yeah, go ahead.
0: Sorry, I think I think you meant to say Spa Francorchamps.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to see how Otmar pronounces that. <laughs> it's uh, Spa Francochamps. Um <laughs> so if we look to last year, we had a dominant Red Bull one-two, Ferrari coming in third and sixth. Albeit, could have finished higher except for a, a penalty while pitting for the fastest lap. Of course. Uh, I believe this is also the race where this was tear-off gate where Verstappen in front of (laughs) Leclerc pulled off his tear-off and uh, stuck it right in Leclerc's brake duct. (laughs) throwing
0: bananas out of his cart. (laughs)
1: That's right. This is the Mario (laughs) Kart race. And then, um, you know, I think kind of what was the theme of last season, so it'll be interesting to see if it rears its head again. You know, Mercedes struggling with with tire temp. Meanwhile, Alpine performed really well, and I believe it was at this point they sort of took back the the lead from from McLaren. So, I think they'll just be hoping for not a third double DNF in a row. Um, but time will tell. Any expectations for the race this season? <sighs>
0: um, it's maybe the obvious one, but I'll try and put up another point of emphasis on it. We might be about to watch the largest margin of victory in any F1 race ever. I don't know what that number is. I don't know if it's 45 seconds. I don't know if it's a lap. I don't, I don't know what it is. But if Max qualifies on pole and has no, you know, red flags or strategy bungles and it's basically a boring and predictable race, he is going to be way down the road. Like what like if you had to pick one track that this Red Bull is designed to be fast on, it is this one. It is plenty of straights. There are like a, a there's one super slow speed ch- ch- chicane, but everything else is high speed and just white knuckle, just pure efficiency. Like it is gonna be a clinic, unless, you know, barring anything weird. So that's my general view. I think this is another weekend we could see Williams up there, Albon popping his name up the boards, high in Q three. Maybe they're kinda they'll do what Alpha did this weekend. Uh Romeo, that is. Um and honestly, just in general, like I love Spa. I we'll put the controversies of O'Rouge aside for a second, but like it's a top three track for me. I think this is Formula One at its finest. Um so, yeah, in general, just very excited. Would love to go to this race one day. I also love that it's in the middle of the Ardennes. I think that's awesome. Like, in the middle of nowhere. Like, one of these tracks where if you go, you don't know where to stay because there's literally nothing around. Like, I kind of love that. So,
1: And still better infrastructure than, uh, than Monza.
0: You could, you could have the race on an oil rig in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and have better fan experience than Monza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's obviously
1: you're talking up Williams. I see you got your Williams shirt on this weekend, so uh, so no surprises there. But yeah, I mean, especially if if there's rain again, fingers crossed. I, I do hope so, and and that could spell really well for for Norris and and McLaren um, as a whole. But we'd be remiss if we didn't cover the topic that you mentioned, a rouge. Uh, another death this year um, in the regional European championship race, basically a a similar situation, right? Where there's a contact between cars, top of the hill, you know, handling at the end. Do you think there's a need to, you know, cresting the hill, hitting the wall and then back onto the track basically is the, is the situation. I mean, do you think there needs to be a change to the track to the crash structure or do you leave it as is and it's a risk of the sport that everybody accepts
0: i mean well they they changed the runoff design and the barrier design after antoine hubert died three years ago and then a guy in a slower speed car died uh this year and the one you mentioned Dylan van de hoff so i think it's it's getting harder to believe that there's anything you can do to the turn other than make it slower, to make it safe. And
1: I really. Or Schrader, right? You'd have to soften the yes. soften the angle. Yeah, yep,
0: that's a good that's a good point. Um, I but I, 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 I what I fear is true is what I really don't want to be true, which is that an F1 driver is going to have to be seriously injured or die for them to change it. You know, because, like, if Antoine, if Antoine Hubert or Dylan Vandehoff had been an F1 driver, that corner would not exist now. They would have already changed it. And and maybe that's a little bit cynical, but, like, uh, let's not pretend that every, like, formula of racing is going to be as impactful in terms of the change to racetracks as the as the upper series is. I think it's time, man. Like, I don't want that to happen. And if it rains or is slick, I mean, you, you remember the Sean Lorton, um, Norris had in, uh, it was pretty close. in qualifying yeah. last year. It, it's, you know, there was nobody immediately behind him, and it was in qualifying, so the grid wasn't as packed. But, like, that's the type of incident we're talking about where you go up the hill, you hit the wall, and then you come back out onto the track right above past the crest of it, and there's no visibility. Dude, that can easily happen again. Yeah, yeah
1: his situation was only, like, situationally different, right?
0: Totally. The same type of crash, though, and I just, yep. you know, and a lot of guys take curb going up into the second turn of Eau Rouge on the left, it's, it's and especially in these cars that, you know, where you got the ground effect, and if you hit an uneven piece of pavement, they can get unsettled at high speeds. Like, it's, dude, it's scary. Um, I don't want to be alarmist about it, but, like, yeah, man, two guys have died in the last three years. Like, that's not nothing.
1: Um, well, so I think it also further questions. supports, like, or, or shows how ridiculous the perspective was of, of them canceling the race when it was raining. And I get the whole controversy was like, cause they ran like enough sort of laps behind a safety car to call it a race and the points and the, you know, people didn't get their money back or whatever. Right. But it can be a very dangerous track in heavy rain for that particular part of the track. Right. And so one, obviously the safety's important in that situation. I would ideally like to see them continue to try and adjust the, the barrier situation because it seemed like they have infinite runoff to play with. And so is that gravel at the end? I mean, I'd have to think there's ways to prevent bouncing. I mean, between Tech Bro, between gravel, ways to prevent that from happening. I guess second, in my opinion, would be that final sort of sweeping left at the crest of the hill Would you soften that a little bit so it's a little bit straighter as you come up the hill? I think you would mitigate a lot of that sort of high speed, like lack of downforce as you come up to the top of the hill. Could you soften the crest of the hill as well? So it is more of a graduated incline. I think that's another option if you didn't want to reprofile the horizontal turns. Um, So I would say I I think there's things they can try that that are pretty minor or may not even change the... The overall structure of the corners at at all, but clearly they have to do do something more and continue to work on that. But it's almost at a certain point where it's like, do you look kind of stupid for continuing to make half measures if it keeps happening, right? So that's the, I guess the, the balance that they're they're trying to strike.
0: Yeah, but I, you know, but th- this point, like saying that it's expensive is not an like, dude, we're in a the Formula One's as popular and as lucrative as it's ever been. We're well past. Expense being well, a you, reason to not reconfigure yeah. a track, and you think and the
1: broader not, sport would help support that as well, yeah. right? Like Spa already having kind of cost challenges to do certain modernizations to the track to keep it on the calendar. But I mean, if it's that important to the sport, which I think it, it kind of should be, especially when you know from all the drivers' perspectives and you know the same sort of history as you hear with Silverstone, like you'd think there would be some sort of you know f- funding that they provide to to help with that.
0: Yeah, we don't want to lose Spa on the calendar. Like I really really don't want that to happen. Similarly to how I wouldn't want to lose Silverstone, I wouldn't want to lose Suzuka. You know, it's just one of those tracks that like brings something whole unique and it does a rouge can change and it still be a special place. And I, you know, I hadn't thought about it before we got on the call, but you make a really good point about like you could just straighten it. I don't know that the the tech pro idea is is like because the thing about like you hit a wall at a high speed at like a shallow angle and tech pro like the whole thing about it like, grabs the car and can yeah. be tougher on the driver. So it's like, I don't know how realistic it is. They can prevent a car from like coming back into the track. So it's like maybe just prevent the action altogether all and make it straighter. I, I, I like that better than like making that a chicane. Cause it used to be like pre like early nineties. It used to be like a relatively slow speed chicane that swept out to the left and came back to the right. And then I terrible. think you'd be losing something. Yeah. Yeah. Be bad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry to—I know I added this one to the show notes, so I'm sorry to make us end on a bit more of a somber note. But uh, <laughs> thought it merited some discussion.
1: Well, as much idiocy and frivolity as we usually have, I guess we might as well be serious and grounded at some point. So um, maybe,
0: maybe, maybe to cheer ad. things up, we can go out go out with a little Willie T. ribs. But it's wearing on you physically. And uh, Chuck, Chuck LeClaire, he said, you know, I, I, I it. He
1: felt it. He felt it, Gerald. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can't go. You can't end on any better note than that. So I think with that, uh, see you on the other side of this weekend, huh?
0: Sounds good, buddy. Bit of pleasure.
1: Always peace.
0: Peace.